Welcome, everyone, to episode 198 of Some Like It, Scott. I'm one of your hosts, Scott Shelton, and on this week's episode, we're reviewing the summer sci-fi action thriller slash blockbuster, Nope. Before we get to that, though, with me, as always, I have my co-host, Scott Harvey. Scott, how are you doing? You've got your feet wet in your new job. You're settled into Charlotte. Are you into a new rhythm? Uh, more or less. Uh, I will say I need to get my car into a new uh, rhythm. I, uh, I'm sure oh nobody is uh, really cares to hear about this, but I am have been having some car trouble, um, which is understandable given that my car is 20 years old and uh, has 289,000 miles on it. But um, fortunately, it sounds like they're going to be able to replace a certain part, and that's going to fix it for not as uh, substantial as a, of an expense as I feared. Um, however, uh, I have to get through the next couple of days uh, without that part until they can, you know, arrive. And I'm a little mm. nervous about driving because when the issue presents itself, I cannot give the car any gas. And it's just like I'm a sitting duck out there. So I do have to drive a little bit for work. Um, it's a little concerning. Yeah, I, I've I've kind of learned how to maneuver it because it's happened a few times to me now. Um, but I'm going to drive pretty slowly and stay in the right lane and all that kind of stuff. I, I don't really have to drive too far, which is fortunate. I live very It's not like your old, your last job where you drove all over the place all the time. Right. right. So. I'm only going to be driving about 10 minutes to court. So, um, it, okay. you know, hopefully they get the part in tomorrow. It was unclear um, when exactly mm-hmm. they were going to get it in, but they were hoping sooner rather than later. And I'm certainly hoping that as well. Makes sense. Well, guys, uh, between now and then, Scott dies. I won't post the episode, so you won't even be hearing this. Um, this has been car talk. Uh, this has but, been but car listen, talk on something like it, Scott, yeah. If uh, if that does happen, I just want to say for the record now, I hope that you do um, post the episode. I do want you to post the episode in my memory. Just record like okay. a little thing at the beginning or something in which you you know explain what happened and how sad you are. Or I record at the end to see how people me. actually listen to the podcast all the way through. <laughs> yeah, no. That, that Only real ones will know. Yeah. yeah, I don't think uh, many people will get there. but yeah. We'll find out who, well, I'll find out who our real friends, our real listeners were and you won't know the difference, so it won't matter. Sure. But yeah, really uplifting first uh, two and a half minutes of our of our podcast here, which you know might be thematically appropriate because we are talking about um, a film from a filmmaker who is known for some really uplifting topics um, in his past movies, like Get Out and Us, where you know black drama has come front and center in both those movies. And I think you know not to spoil anything, but there is some some black drama uh, in this movie as well. I think it's fair to say. And as already mentioned, this week's topic of conversation will be Jordan Peele's third feature film. And that is Nope. As with Peele's other two films that I also just mentioned, Nope is simple in its premise uh, with two ranch-owning siblings who come under hard times attempting to save the farm, you know, quite literally save the ranch by capturing video evidence of a UFO. But it gets much more nebulous and complex as the plot unfolds. Nope starts with a metaphorically critical flashback to 1998 to a live recording of an episode of the sitcom Gordy's Home featuring a chimpanzee animal actor. Um, in that episode, the chimp Gordy ends up brutally attacking the sitcom family, of course, unscripted, this part, uh, bloodily assaulting several of the actors, but is unusually friendly to the adopted token minority son, Ricky Jupe Park, who hid under the kitchen table and witnessed the whole bloody ordeal. 
Flash forward to the present to the Haywood Hollywood Horses Ranch, where owner and proprietor Otis Haywood Sr. trains and handles horses for movies and TV. And he is killed in a freakish accident involving metal objects dropping from the sky as a coin punctures his eye and ultimately leads to his brain hemorrhage and death. His son, Otis Jr., played by Daniel Kluya, and daughter, Emerald, or M, played by Kiki Palmer, inherit the ranch, but fall on hard times. OJ is forced to sell half of the ranch's horses in order to stay afloat, while his sister seeks to make it big in Hollywood, but neither plan is working out to perfection. After a failed and embarrassing gig on the set of a commercial, OJ is contemplating selling the entire ranch to the neighboring carnival attraction called Jupiter's Claim, run by the grown-up Ricky from Gordon's, Gordy's Home, played by Stephen Yoon, and the two, but the two siblings agreed to make one last attempt to salvage the family business by capturing video evidence of a UFO after they suspect aliens of devouring their horses and spitting out the inorganic remains. Also, by chance, is what caused Otis Sr.'s death. Scott, did this sci-fi action thriller reminiscent both of the summary blockbusters like Spielberg's Jaws and of the thoughtfulness of some fall dramas such as maybe Villeneuve's Arrival captivate you? Or did the film only leave you with one uh, one thought, the critically lame but now off-sided titular syllable, nope? Nope. Uh, yeah, Scott, nope, you no. know, Jordan Peele, I've really enjoyed both of his other movies, uh, but I haven't. Uh, you know, I, I don't think he's put it all together uh, in a film yet. You know, Get Out was a movie I really loved the way that he blended genre with social commentary. It's a very potent social commentary there. But like the actual genre horror elements didn't necessarily totally work for me. And then with Us, I felt like he the horror elements were really strong. The commentary wasn't quite as strong. There's that a lot of exposition that happens at the end. Um, yeah. And, you know, it was just a little... Uh, over my head, I guess. Um, and I think a lot of people had a similar reaction. So I, I you know, I love both of the movies and I think he's an interesting director. Um, so I was very much looking forward to this. And Scott, I got to say, I think this is the one where he's put it all together. Um, I think this movie is pretty triumphant um, and is, you know, consistent with what we come to expect from Peel. Like I'm saying there, there is social commentary. Uh, but there's also, you know, blockbuster genre filmmaking. And perhaps there's a slightly True heavier blockbuster influence. genre filmmaking. Yeah. Absolutely. Like, definitely. I mean, the budget here is like triple, if not more than what he had for us. And certainly, you know, 10 times more than he had for Get Out. I mean, it's been compared by everyone to Spielberg, and I think it's a fair comparison. But, you know, just to give you an idea of the fact that this is a true blockbuster. Um, yeah, it's Spielbergian. Um, and I think so. I think maybe he leans a little bit more heavily on the actual genre part of it this time. But that's not to say that I didn't find, you know, the message and what he's actually trying to say, the substance here to be equally as compelling. Um, and I don't think, you know, I don't think he struggles from some of the same problems that he had in us. Like, uh, again, I think it's all you can kind of put it all together. Again, you mentioned that opening scene with uh the gordy's home and we you know we end up learning more about that through stephen yun as the older version of the, of the child um and i think that um opening scene really sets the stage for so much of what this movie is trying to say about the way we sensationalize tragedies and also the people um particularly in pop culture spaces um talking mostly about people of color here who get sort of 
get sort of tokenized and otherized, um, you know, in, in a way that continues to play out and which, you know, I think the story kind of becomes about OJ and Emerald in a way sort of kind of seizing the means of production, right, and trying to um, make their own experience into, um, you know, art of their own creation. Um, so I think there's a lot going on there. Um, and, you know, when I left the theater immediately, I was like, I, you know, I, I got to sit down and think about this, um, which is a great thing to, to feel when you leave the theater in a movie, especially when you leave a blockbuster. Um, yeah. it's, it's absolutely wonderful to say, I, you know, I had a great time. I love this movie. Also, now I'm going to sit down and think about what I think it all means. And when I did, I think, uh, I think, you know, it adds up to a lot. Again, I think this movie is pretty much a triumph to talk more about the genre stuff. I mean, I thought it all really worked. This is a great, um, you know, alien movie, basically. It's it's a Spielberg type close encounters. You know, you mentioned Arrival, something like that. But it's a proper summer movie. It's got a lot of humor in it, um, but not in the way that we've talked about with Marvel movies where I felt like it really diminished any of the stakes or anything that was uh, any of the tension that it's trying to establish. As you say, it's got really strong characters and performances, I thought. And it just, it, re it really grips you. Um, like I w barely breathed for like the last 15 minutes of this movie. I think the last, yeah. you know, climb action climax of the movie is pretty spectacular. It looks great. It's shot by Hoyt Van Hoytema. Um, That's what I was going to say. Yeah. That yeah. It has, I, you know, you talk about having, you know, bigger budget. Like it has a big movie cinematographer, like no shade on Mike Jalakis, but Hoyt Van Hoytema only works yeah. on movies with budgets greater than, you know, 80 million, like 70, 80 million, right? Like he doesn't work on small movies. Yeah. I was going to say, you know, that I was a little disappointed that he didn't bring back Mike Jalakis, but you know, uh, it, it is what it is. The movie looks great. And the final uh, action scene takes place almost completely in the daytime, which is great to see. I love, you know, obviously I, I love that. Yeah. Um, I think Michael Abels has a really great score that like pulls all these sort of Western motifs at times, um, especially oh, yeah. towards the end of the movie. Uh, and I think, again, talking about sort of the commentary, I think there's a lot that Jordan Peele is probably trying to do by taking the traditionally Anglo-centric white uh, genre of the Western film and, you know, giving us black characters and really most of the major characters in this movie are people of color, right? Stephen Yeun obviously is Asian. Um, we have Brandon Perea's character, Angel, who's Latino. Um, so that's not a coincidence, right? That's, that's intentional. I think it's all feeding into the ultimate commentary of the movie. Um, so I just had a great time with this. I think, um, it's, you know, we, we've been through a little bit of a rut here. I feel like with movies since Top Gun Maverick came out. Um, there was a lot of sort of mediocrity when you think about, you know, Thor and where the crawdads sing. You think about Spiderhead that we talked about, um, you know, just a few movies that didn't really. And I mean, not, that's not to mention like Elvis and Jurassic World, which we didn't even talk about on the, the podcast, but um, which, you know, didn't get the, the world's greatest reviews. But um, it was nice to see another big blockbuster that I think can really compete with the high of Top Gun Maverick. Um, I, I, you know, I really walked out of the theater feeling um, more energized than I have in a long time, not just because the movie was great, but also that this type of movie can get still get made. Maybe there are only a few directors 
who are going to be allowed to make this type of movie. Jordan Peele definitely being one of them. I think the box office returns on his first movies and now on this movie also are are going to allow him to keep making these movies on a large scale. But you know what? A few a few directors in this camp, you know, the Christopher Nolans and the Tarantinos and stuff like that. A few a few of them is better than not, right? As Bill long as yeah, sure. As long as we still have these people um, that are able to to put their own spin and make something again that is really thought provoking in the context of a, a summer blockbuster, I have hope for the future of movies. So I love this. Yeah, I mean, this is ultimately a film where I was excited for it. I mean, I think I was a bigger fan of Get Out than you are. I think we were at similar similar sort of temperatures on us i think we liked it but we didn't really feel like we really got it or maybe it, it sort of got weighed down by its own sort of complexity and its nuance i don't know um but i was still excited about this film and i think the thing that i'm just most impressed by is is jordan peele stepping into the shoes of of a truly you know blockbuster director you know get out and us are made on are made on budgets that are that are slim um, in comparison. I mean, I think Get Out was like less than 5 million. Us was 20 million. I just looked it up, this film is 70 million budget. And it really feels like, you know, it squeezes, <laughs> you get your, it gets its value out of 70 million. I mean, there's so many movies these days that are obviously more expensive than, than $70 million. And they don't really feel like they extract anywhere near the value of that money um, from the filmmaking from, um, the end product, anything like that. And I just feel like every single aspect of this film, sort of, it really, it really squeezes all the value out of what you're getting on screen. Um, I think by nature of a, of a film like this, it, sort of in a similar vein to what you were talking about, I, I sort of exited the film and unlike Get Out and Us, like the first thing that was on my mind was not that, was not the social commentary. It's not that I didn't think about the social commentary afterwards because I've been thinking about it, you know, for the last 24 hours since I watched it. But that wasn't the first thing on my mind. The first thing out of my mind when I watched it, when I walked out of the movie, it was like, wow, that that movie was dope. Like that movie rocked. Like that was a fun summer action movie. I mean, also at the end of the day, to me, that it is an action movie. It just has sci-fi horror elements to it. Um, and you know, I'm a sucker for for an action film like that. And the fact that you can come from an angle that still has that sort of social commentary bit you know woven in to a lesser extent maybe um or with le a little bit less relative um emphasis than his previous two outings i think that's awesome and i think it's exactly the kind of movie that i'm going to want to come back to again and again whereas something like get out and us i don't really feel like i need repeat viewings to en either to enjoy it or to or to really understand it i don't know that i need repeat viewings to fully understand this film either but i think that there's a lot more i can get out of both from an enjoyment perspective and an understanding perspective from rewatching this type of movie and i think that you know it really is sort of um you know for those reasons it's i think it's one of the best films of the year so far i'll be honest i think it's definitely up there in my yeah, in my you. top five um jordan peele i think sort of cements himself as a director who you not only can, can turn to in terms of like an auteur um sort of director who can open a movie without a star although he does happen to work with some of the best actors in the business i mean namely daniel kaluuya who i think you know in spite of his maybe i don't know weird developments outside of you know uh, you know outside of 
you know, behind the camera with his like career, his like his like spiritual advisor, and the, there's a lot of weird stuff. Look, um, if only on there was that. another blockbuster movie star from this summer who also had weird things going on outside of movies. Yeah, uh, yeah. It's sometimes Chris, it's, 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 it's weird that Chris Hemsworth is like that too. It is very strange. <laughs> um, no, no, exactly. Yeah, that, there's obviously some weird stuff. I mean, to a lesser extent, probably than with Tom Cruise, which is who obviously yeah. who you're referring to. Um, but the the man continues to co- just completely impress in front of the camera. I mean, he he can basically do no wrong, and it seems like in front of the camera in my book. He's that good. I think Kiki Palmer gives a good showing. I think overall this film just really shows up. Um, and it's and I'm and I can't. I really I don't feel like I can understate this. Like I, it's so exciting to see a director like Jordan Peele, who, like I said, you can turn to for your genre film, for your horror film, and deliver. But you can turn to him with a large budget and let him really make a movie. Like you know, really go out there and and take big let swings and deliver. Like it, it's you you know you you talking about someone like you were mentioning at the end like Nolan Tarantino. Um, Villeneuve, like people, people who studios will trust with large budgets to make original films. I mean, Villeneuve, to be fair, does not make original films. I will say that he hasn't made an original film in a long time. But you, these are directors you can turn to with a large budget and expect them to deliver in terms of, in, at least in terms of quality. Um, you know, almost, almost like you know, guaranteed. So I think that's really exciting to to feel confident in saying that Jordan Peele is among those types of directors. Not that I wasn't excited for the types of movies he was making before, but the kinds of movies it seems like he's going to be making now, that's really exciting to me. And I think that's ultimately one of the things that I love most about this movie is just what it means for, you know, the next 20 plus years of his career. And hey, he's got something that uh, Villeneuve and uh, and Nolan don't have yet, which is he's got an Oscar too, so. He's that's got true. What did he... Did he win a, for screen, a screenplay Oscar? Is that what he won? Yeah, he won screenplay for Get Out, yeah. For Get Out, that's right. Yeah, because he was, right, he could have been like the first, the first, uh, the first person to win writing, directing, and best picture for their first film. That's right, mm-hmm. he was up there. Yeah, um, pretty impressive stuff. I don't think he's going to be, I'd be surprised if he's in the screenwriting category for this film, but he might be. Um, Probably not. He totally yeah. might be. Um, but this film, I'd imagine, gets, gets nominated in a lot of below the line categories um at the end of the day although it's a long time from oscar season also who even really knows with that said scott i started mentioning my thoughts about daniel kluya on the past like i mean i feel like on our podcast we have been very openly um forthright about our love for daniel kluya and how basically he's one of the best actors currently currently performing do you stand by that with this performance has your opinion changed at all not at all. Uh, I think he's terrific. I think he's my favorite performance in the movie, probably. Um, yeah. And I like, again, like the talking about how Peel kind of uses the Western genre in a way to contribute to his commentary. I think um, OJ is kind of meant to be your traditional Western hero in a way, especially you th- when you think about sort of what happens towards the very end of the movie. Um, and so I like how Kaluuya plays him as sort of this tough like softer spoken dude right who um he kind of lets his sister do all the talking and everything and he just kind of but he's very smart you can tell he's very like um, oh yeah calculating in his own own way i mean he's a he's a badass basically is what i'm trying to say which is oh, yeah. how many of those old-time western um uh, you know heroes were were styled in those movies um and so i think he's definitely riffing on that and he's also, you know, he's got humor, though. Um, I, I mentioned some of the, you know, the humor that I think really works. The title, for example, of the movie, um, 
is a oh, great God, sort yeah. of so good. release. The first time he says it is a great like release of tension moment. Like, um, you know, I think some people were kind of like, nope is a stupid title or whatever. And you know what? Maybe he only called it that because of that one moment or whatever. Um, but even if he did, it was worth it because it's a. It's Are you talking about when he's moment. in the when he's dri- when he's driving the train the horse <laughs> the horse trailer? Yeah. No, when he's in the like the stable or whatever, and the aliens oh. appear. He says it again yeah. later in the movie. I think it's even better. Yeah, actually. he does say it later. I'm talking about the yeah, first yeah, time yeah. though that he says. Yeah, it. yeah, yeah. It's um, so good. Yeah, that, no, it that, definitely does cut the attention. It's really good. It's a great theater moment. Um, also when that, when that happened, um, and his delivery of it again is is perfect. And that was something that I, I was sitting there thinking. You know, they could have very easily put this in the trailer, and I would have been, you know, I wouldn't have been surprised if they put that in the trailer, but they didn't. Um, so. Credit, they didn't uh, put very much in the trailer. I mean, okay, that's yeah. not entirely true. I only saw I only saw the first trailer for this movie, and they do not put very much in the first trailer for this. I've seen the second trailer since seeing the movie. There's a lot in that second trailer. <laughs> There's yeah, a lot I, of stuff in the second trailer. I've been feeling this a lot recently with certain movies that like the they come out with second trailers that look like completely different from the first trailer. It's really strange. Like don't worry, darling. I saw the second trailer today, for example, and it looks like a I completely watched the different trailer. movie. Yeah, uh, and there was another one that I felt like that about too. Uh, maybe it was Nope. I don't know, but anyway, um, that was nice that they didn't have that moment in the trailer. And uh, I, yeah. I know, especially you are somebody who goes on about that, so um, it's nice to have that moment organically happen without you, ex- you know, expecting or anticipating it. So yeah, I think Kalu is terrific. I think Kalu is terrific. I love like his delivery. Yeah, I made this comment in my letterbox review, but I think this movie between Kaluuya and Michael Wincott, who plays the <laughs> yeah, director, the director, and or, sorry, uh, the cinematographer, and, not the not the director, the cinematographer. Yeah, 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 yeah. and uh, Keith David, who plays uh, Kaluuya's yeah, father, his dad. Very, very, yeah, yeah. Um, this is an all-time like dudes with bass voices movie um, because all of them just have like these silky bass voices and it's well, like it's, it's so weird right because he's he's doing a voice right that's not how kaluuya normally sounds is uh, this is what i was thinking at the start of the movie well i kind of think this is maybe the closest we've heard to obviously without an accent but or with an american accent but um, right because he is british yeah i think i think this is the closest we've actually heard to kind of the way he talks in real life from what i've seen um, so I don't know that he's really trying to do too much with the dialect here other okay. than putting on his accent, but I could be wrong. Um, he has kind of that low, sometimes very quick way of speaking um, that I think is yeah. it's distinctive yeah. in a way that I like. Um, yeah. But maybe, yeah, maybe we haven't seen it as much like in, in Get yeah. Out where he's a much more traditional pr- protagonist. Um, yeah, 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 yeah. I was just thinking from even something that's like last year, like uh, what is it, um, Judas and the Black Messiah or whatever. I I just I I guess at the start of the movie, I thought that his voice sounded very different from that, and I wasn't. To be fair, I wasn't sure whether it was my theater, like the sound in my theater being a little bit weird, or if it was him doing a slightly different voice. I actually think it's pretty similar to that, but okay. I don't know. I probably have to compare it. It's really not that important, probably. But no, it's not. No, it was just a it was just a thing that caught in my head. Mm-hmm. He's got a distinctive way of speaking, which I like. Yeah, I'm actually just looking at his his filmography right now. <laughs> There's only a couple movies of this that I haven't seen, and they're all earlier. Like I haven't seen um, I didn't see was it Kick Ass Two that he's apparently in, but like, yeah, I just 
I just feel like he should have been in more things because he's so good. Um, obviously, but his Black Mirror you know episode been, is great. Did you know that he's a uh, he's the narrator on Arsenal's All or Nothing season? That's hilarious. <laughs> <laughs> That's so I funny. would not know. He must that be an Arsenal. God, God knows I'm not going to watch Arsenal All or Nothing. So yeah. I mean that that season is like hilariously funny because they like they it was a disaster because they finished outside the top four. I think. Oh no, that's that was the Tottenham one. This is the one that's like coming out in like a week or two. Oh wow, okay. Oh, Sorry, no, getting this okay. live right now. So this is coming out in like a week or two. Um, that's hilarious that he's the narrator on that. Um, anyway, Daniel Kluya. I mean, yeah, I I sort of summed up my thoughts already. He's he's fantastic in this film. I mean, that, that's that's the problem with including Daniel. I mean, it's not a problem per se, but. It's the problem with including Daniel Kaluuya in your movie is that he's going to steal the show from everyone else. He's just that good. Like he just simply is that good. Like he manages to completely upstage Lakeith Stanfield in Judas and the Black Messiah, which is which is saying something because mm-hmm. Lakeith is amazing in that film. And I just I, they're I think their performances. He still stands out, but he yeah. I think they're both pretty incredible. But you're right that he is like the attention grabbing one. But the, by contrast here, right? Like whereas he's the like fiery one who comes on the scene and like you know choose the scenery and Judas. Here, that is definitely not him. That is Kiki Palmer. Um, yeah. The fact that he still is the one that you come away from, at least I think we both feel like. He has such a gravitas. Man, he was electric. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, yeah. That that speaks to him being able to do it all, really. Yeah, and that's actually the point I was going to go to next. He took it right out of my mouth there. Just the, the continued range he shows in his ability to, you know, oscillate between different types of characters. I mean, something like Widows, he's this very reserved um he's a reserved character i guess to put it that way although a very different kind of person than than oj but he's reserved going to judas where he's this very you know gregarious almost like charismatic leader to something like this where you know he's a quiet you know ranch guy like a horse guy you know what i mean like he it's really all what he is and then get out you're right he's very much traditional like almost seems like a you know recent college graduate young guy like honest nice you know bright-eyed kind of just completely different. I, I love that his versatility is so, you know, continues to be shown as, as so wide. Kiki Palmer, you know, you mentioned her. She's the second lead of the film. I guess if we switch gears quickly. I mean, she's had a few opportunities. She hasn't done it quite as big, probably, as as her co-star yet. Like, probably the biggest thing she's done so far is Hustlers. Um, yeah. I'm trying to think of, like, what else would really fall into that category. I think that's probably it. I mean, maybe something in the TV realm. Um, Cause I know she's been in quite a few TV projects, um, but I'm not familiar necessarily with those. She just but, did a yeah, I mean, light year. Of course. That is true. She did do light year. Um, she was in, was it, was it at the Netflix? Was it, was it not, sorry, not Netflix Sundance was Alice. Wasn't she the lead in that? Right. Yeah. In, uh-huh. in that film yeah. earlier this year, I think that, that showed at Sundance. Um, but this is sort of her big, I mean, in terms of film, I think this is really her big moment to come out. Scott, obviously, we talked about how powerful Daniel Kaluuya is on the screen. But do you think that maybe like a Lakeith Stanfield, like you're talking about, she's able to also manage to grab a little of the limelight in the moments where, you know, Kaluuya is not sort of just completely taking over everything? Yeah, definitely. I mean, I think she's really strong, too, even though, I, you know, I, Kaluuya is my favorite performance. Um very you know it's a movie star type performance like she's very charismatic from that first scene that she comes in right oh yeah 
you know, Dan Daniel Kaluuya, OJ is kind of like stuttering and awkward. And he's clearly not, this is not the part of the business that he does, right? The talking yeah. to the camera, the selling. And she's bubbly, um, outgoing, yeah. Absolutely. Yeah, and then she just walks in and rattles off like the monologue about, you know, the first um, person on film was a black man on a horse and yada, 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 and does her thing and like wins over the whole crew of the commercial that they're doing um, and also kind of wins over the audience, I think, in that first moment. Um, so I think she's she's really good. She's funny, um, just big personality. That is a perfect compliment. Um because it's a contrast, it's a complete contrast to to yeah. her brother, to um, to Daniel Kaluuya's character. So I think their relationship is fun, and I could definitely see her, you know, starring in more stuff in the future based on the strength of her charisma here. We had one of those strange career paths where she like started off doing Disney Channel stuff like a decade ago, and then I guess just had like a real, you know, drought in her career. I don't really know what she did in the interim. Um, and then all of a sudden has, yeah, just started propping up in like Hustlers and some some big movies now. So it took her a little bit to to get to movie stardom, but she's there now. I think she deserves it based on what I've seen. Yeah. Um, and talking about coming projects, like she's in Aziz Ansari's movie called Being Mortal that was scheduled to come out next year. There's some controversy with that movie involving, I believe, her and Bill Murray. Um, he doing something on set that was inappropriate. We don't, it's not been reported what that was, but yeah, I don't know really what's going on with that. I think that the film is still not back in production. So I don't know if that's, if that's getting resolved or how that's going to get resolved or if it's going to be resolved, but um, that's a pretty big project. Obviously Aziz is a bit of a, I think mercurial figure and is sort of like in and out of Hollywood at the same time um, based on, you know, the current temperature of, the social climate uh, and how that varies month to month sometimes. But I think it's a big project for her to be in on with Aziz, who I think is writing, directing, starring alongside, you know, Bill Murray. And I think there's someone else who's big in it as well. Uh, Seth Rogen, I think is who it is. Um, so yeah, so some, a big comedy show there, but I guess to talk about, nope, I agree. Like the, the complimentary nature of the two, I wasn't sure exactly where the film was going to go at first with how much of one versus the other that we were going to get, but it really does end up feeling like pretty much a, a solid two-hander when it comes to them, that they're, they're both given equal parts, I think, through most of the film, which I was kind of surprised by, to be honest, just given the, like I said, sort, sort of the power of Kaluuya's performance, but I think they play each off each other really well. There's, there's a sort of um, warmth, I think, to her performance that, that adds something to the film that Kaluuya's character is not meant to add, like there's not meant to be a warmth to OJ. Um, but I think there's a warmth um, with her and especially maybe with her dynamic with with Angel, um, Brandon Perea's character. So I, I do think that that has a lot to add um, in, in that sense. And I think that she she does. She's really capable in doing that. So overall, really strong. I kind of I mean, this is minor spoilers territory, I guess. But the fact that she. Pretty much is. It is the person who resolves the film at the end of the day. I think that it was really cool um, how that how that whole thing unfolds. Like, yes, you know, Daniel Kaluuya is also involved with it, but the fact that she sort of takes center stage in those moments, I think, is really cool. Um, and yeah, just a solid performance. I think I think that this film will absolutely catapult her into into a new tier of yeah. of filmmaking. 
Um, I'd be really surprised if she's not getting, if she's not booking a lot more films, um, you know, in the next six, nine months or so after this project. Yeah, I, I mentioned a few other, I mean, I mentioned Brandon Perea. Uh, you mentioned Michael Wil Michael Wincott, who plays the cinematographer. They ultimately sort of like contract to come out there and help them shoot this UFO. Um, another person who hasn't really been mentioned at all yet is Steven Yoon, who plays the grown-up version of Jupe, who is seen briefly in the Gordy's home flashback scene. Anybody from the supporting cast you want to call out here before we sort of move on to the to the meat and 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 potatoes of of this film? I mean, everyone you mentioned there, I think, is great. Honestly, I think it's a really strong supporting cast. I think Stephen Yun does this like sort of clean cut actor, but like he's a little bit of a monster, I guess. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I mean, he's definitely definitely haunted, but. Um, you know that he's a little bit of a huckster like i said there's a lot going on oh, with that yeah. character. he's hustling uh, he's hustling yeah and uh and i think he he does it really well he he makes the most of his like minimal screen time um and then yeah, yeah michael wincott was perfect as like you know his voice just lends so much i think uh, as like this sort of mercury mercurial cinematographer right who like um <laughs> He seems to have achieved it all, right? He's he seems like he's he has it all, um, but he doesn't want it all, right? He he uh he's not happy about sort of the fact that the spotlight is um on him basically with like so much that he does. Um and but he's he's sort of you know tormented by this like I have to get the impossible shot here. I, I'm, he's in pursuit of the impossible God shot. Um, yeah. yeah. And uh, and so he's a fun supporting character. So is Brandon Perea as Angel. I mean, he he's adds a lot of comic relief, I think. But um, you know, when the movie needs him to do more than that, he does more than that. So um, you know, I think he's sort of the one name that people won't be familiar with here. Um, and I think again, he's somebody who I think makes a strong impact. And I wouldn't be surprised if he ends up getting a lot more rolls off of this because i think he's a memorable character for sure in performance yeah he provides a lot of sol solid comic relief um that sort of ends up being his his sort of role in the trio that he ends up forming with um with oj and with m michael wincott i mean you say people are going to be familiar with michael wincott are people going to be familiar with michael wincott i don't think he's done anything relevant recently yeah, I don't know that I can't think of something that he's done recently that he'd be relevant in. But I feel like he's just somebody like if you know character actors, you know, Michael Wincott yeah. just because of his voice. Like he just has the, yeah. that voice. That's everyone's thing. seen him in something they've, they've watched, but they may not rec immediately connect the dots. When you hear his voice, though, you will. Yeah. 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 I mean, I, I feel like the only thing I've really seen him in is is he was like the villain in like that 24 spinoff. Like spinoff season or whatever like let live another day i don't know if was that the spinoff yeah. or was that like the uk one with i don't remember i don't think i don't, I don't remember there yeah. anymore he was in Those he last, was one of the villains in one of the last couple of seasons me, yeah. of 24 yeah 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 um that's like the only thing i knew him from when i was looking up his filmography after but yeah i mean he seemed familiar um which i think is the point the point that you're making yeah he's solid i yeah i mean steven yoon i think is there's obviously so much depth to that character. It, it, it may be in many ways the most complex character um, and maybe the character that sort of a lot of the themes sort of hinge around ultimately, like when you, when you really dissect them all. 
um, which we're going to go to, or at least attempt to partially do here in a few minutes. But I really did like his performance. It's it's such a it's so funny, right? Like he's this he definitely has this facade, right, of this sort of like happy go almost like a happy go lucky type of sort of like just trying to be your friend. Like he he seems like this really genuine nice person when OJ goes and sees him um, at the carnival and when he shows up at the ranch or whatever and like is offering um, to or like inviting them to come see the new show and they're trying mm-hmm. to like hide the fact that they stole his like training horse or whatever like the the stone training horse or whatever um like he's it's very he just seems like a very kind person but i think that because you know his past because you know where he came from and because you you sort of see like the very like uncomfortable like shrine that he has made to where he came from with gordy's home you know there's like so much going on and you get flashes of that in scenes i think one scene in particular jumps to mind where he's just sort of like completely like in another world where i think his wife is talking to him amber or whatever is talking to him in his office and he's just like completely zoned out um and i think that's really unsettling and i think that you understand there's like a lot going on underneath the surface with that character you know because of the past trauma that he's been through and because of the way that he continues to bring his trauma to the forefront the fact that he has this shrine in his office, the fact that he's named his carnival after the character, after his character from the show. Um, you know, it's something that on the surface maybe doesn't appear to be weighing him down, but deep down it's like, you know, it's an anchor, you know, on on, on his life and on his experiences. So, yeah, I think Stephen Yoon does a really good job with all that. And then, yeah, Brandon Prey and Michael Wincott, solid supporting performances as well. Though I don't know if I have too much to add. That hasn't already been said about either of them. So, so I mean, we're talking about Stephen Yeun. We're talking about Jupe or Ricky Park. You know, we're talking about Gordy's home. And I think that's probably where it makes sense to turn to next. You mentioned one of the themes that you were talking about at the beginning. And I do want to come back to that. I think this is slightly related, although different. Like one of the things that really grabbed me or maybe to laser on a specific part about what you were talking about is you know, the exploitation, that's obvious. Like that's very on the surface. You can read that in the movie, like the fact that, you know, minorities are exploited um, and they're sort of like held in place, right? Like, I think that's seen quite literally with someone like OJ, whose family has, you know, according to the monologue that M rattles off at the beginning on the set of the commercial, like they've had skin in the game of making movies since the very first moving picture was made, yet they are still on the outside looking in. Of film production they are still just the people providing the horses making sure that things get run smoothly on the set and all these white people are directing the film are laughing at them are exploiting them for their talents yeah, the, and not just the way that they talk to them in the that opening scene where they're there on the they're treating the them like animals yeah it's it's very uncomfortable the way that the all the white you know film crew are talking to them i mean they don't say anything explicitly like you know problematic that i can remember but just again it's yeah. their manner of speaking that you can tell it's, it's yeah it's, it's all very it's the condescending towards. yeah it's the it's how the condescending nature of it mm-hmm. um you know the disregard with which they take everything that's being said things like that so i think you see that quite literally of people being held in place um with the haywoods but i also think that it comes through going back to ricky going back to jupe how it comes through like a lot more strongly metaphorically um, in that, right? Like the fact that this is the token minority on um, this family sitcom, you know, from the nineties that was also exploiting an ape 
you know, which obviously the the comparisons to black people being, um, you know, monkeys, apes, etc. Um, I think it's impossible not to think about those connections with how this monkey is being treated and exploited on set. And the fact that, you know, Jupe, Ricky is being held in place by that experience, by the fact that he was the token, um, you know, Asian kid on the sitcom, but his entire career, you know, 25 years later has amounted to running a carnival out like in the, you know, in the, I don't even know, like the, like the, the, the desert exurbs of LA. Um, and he had like a shrine to the sitcom. For- it sheriff yeah. or whatever but you know and when they first are in his office and uh kiki palmer's like oh you were the asian kid from it makes you think of like kihei kwan temple of doom indiana yeah. jones right yeah exactly absolutely yeah and i think that it's i mean this this is not i mean i can only assume this is not planned but having something like everything everywhere all at once come out earlier this year and yeah you know we didn't we didn't really talk about that movie on this on this podcast but the fact that you have a movie like that coming out earlier this year to show you um what you know what hollywood has missed in the exploitation of a talent like that is pretty is is an incredible juxtaposition i think um but yeah i guess to to talk about the movie i think that you see so like i said you see it literally i think you see it metaphorically and i think that it's really um it's really interesting to see not only do you see it physically metaphorically but then you see these two parties right like you see these two entities that have been exploited, that have been held in place. And like really at the outset of the movie, they're, they're like, they're essentially eating each other. Like the fact that the, the sort of resolution of this whole business going under after Otis senior has died. And um, it's really hard to balance the books at the ranch is to sell to this carnival that's being run by Ricky. And, you know, there, there's no pathway to actually sort of like, getting to where you, I think I would say you rightfully should be in Hollywood, One right? There's no path to explore back, minorities. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Like you think you're making progress by, by bi- getting on this show, by being, you know, one of the originators of motion pictures, but the system is set up in a way that you're just going to get exploited for it. And I think that I, I don't know if I, if there's really much to add from you, if you want to add something, I, I absolutely go for it. But I'm curious what you, how you think then something like the UFO um you know sort of ties into that theme and and how that comes in comes into play i mean i I kind of this is where i'm a little bit shakier but like i just kind of think that's a representation of of white people and how it has held people in place and made sure that they can't progress in in society further but i don't i wonder if you have if you have a more nuanced view of that or what you thought of it yeah i think that's part of it i mean i think some of it is like again about the connection uh, between the people on the forefront and the people who they declare to be the other right yeah. aliens are always like otherized in pretty much everything you think about and yeah. he's kind of turning it on his head in a way because now he's the one in control right it's his it's his rodeo it's his show and sure. he is the one who is sort of you know claiming to have control in his own way over the the aliens and you know he's going to be using them as part of his show. So I think that's, mm. that's certainly part of it. But yeah, you know, it, well, it's, it's one of the things I was thinking about. One of the things that I keep coming back to when I'm thinking about it, though, is the fact that like, it's sort of maybe like the smaller things like, you don't, you don't look the alien in the eyes, basically don't like, it just feels like very much totally. like, like, this is our master, right? Like, in a very, like, obviously, very clear 
power dynamic there. Like, don't look him in the, the eyes. Viewer. Again, try, kind of wrapping in the whole idea about our turning our tragedies into like exploiting our tragedies too, because it's not just exploiting people like we're talking yeah. about, but I yeah. also think it's exploiting what happens oh, to these people. Um, and obviously, you know, the Gordy's home incident being part of that, and we hear about how they did it on they, you know, they did an SNL sketch on it, right? And oh, yeah. Um, yeah, basically just made light of this entire thing, and um, and and. Uh, Ricky Stephen Yoon's character is basically like, yeah, you want to know what happened? You basically just watch that, right? Like the the actual event doesn't even register anymore. Like the parody is the more uh, memorable version of it. Um, and so you think about the idea of like looking, not looking. You know, it makes you think about all of the stuff that we look at now on a daily basis, right? And how a lot of it is awful, depressing, sad stuff. I mean, you think about police brutality and everything that's happened with that in the last few years and the videos that we see and um, the things that make the news, right? And, you know, there's so many different ways you can go with it. The fact that so much of, you know, what we scroll through on Twitter or wherever on a daily basis is bad miracles or whatever, as, as they refer to it in the movie you know, the idea of looking away, right. Or simply saying, nope. Right. And saying, nope, I'm not going to look at it. That's its own sort of act of rebellion in a way. Um, and I really liked the way that that title, you know, it's a humorous moment and we're talking about the humor of it, but it's not just there for the humor. I think even in that single, it holds word. a lot of meaning. Yeah. It holds yes, a lot of meaning absolutely. too. Yeah. No, I absolutely agree with that. Um, I do want to, anything else that you want to add, you, you sort of laid out one of the, some of the, some of the other themes at the beginning that you thought were, were important, which I know are related to what we were just talking about, but might be slightly different as well. So if you want to expound on any of that, please feel free to. No, I mean, I think the only other thing I would say is like, you know, we're talking about Steven Yeun kind of like seizing control in a way, um, with, by seizing the means show. of production, I think is what you'd say. Yeah. 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 Um, that's what I was going to say. But also, but also of, Daniel Kaluuya doing that too, right? Because they're, they're exactly, that's what I was going to say. Yeah. Trying, yeah. Yeah. They're using filmmaking equipment and, and actually very archaic filmmaking equipment um, towards the that end. That somehow says IMAX on it though. That was hilarious, a hilarious, you know, in movie ad yeah, yeah. on this like old I, I was 50 year camera. I was sitting there trying to think about, you know, and I'm sure there's something there that I'll get to eventually, but like, you know, is he making some commentary here about like film versus digital and like, um, you know, shoot, I shooting for I don't real so. versus, like, versus like the green screen horse that they wheel in after, you know, they can't use the horse in the beginning of the movie or the fact that the yeah. chimpanzee is like pretty bad CGI, honestly, um, on the, the Gordy's home TV show. I, I don't know if there's anything there, but I, all no, those Scott, that was a real chimp, were... man. They exploited a chimp <laughs> the... and had to murder a couple of people. Yeah. All those sort of things are swirling around in my head anyway, but yeah, basically what they end up doing is like, and there, again, there's so much, I feel like you can read into this. Like you can almost, you can, you can, uh, read it as, Hey, you know, them as minorities and as people of color, if we don't get the money shot, if we don't get the Oprah shot, right, nobody is going to believe us. That's almost part of it. Um, that's sort of an undercurrent, I think. Um, but yeah, again, the idea that for so long the camera has been turned on them 
as the other, as the token, whatever. And now they get to be the ones holding the camera and they're the ones who are, you know, in control in a way. It's a fascinating sort of power dynamic that is going on there. Um, and yeah, I, I, again, there, there's, there's just a lot to think about. I haven't, you know, I haven't even wrapped my head around everything I feel like. Um, yeah, but yeah, I, I admire the ambition of this movie so much. Yeah. I mean, it, it, to, to your exact point here, like I, I still feel like I'm wrestling with certain parts of it as well. Like, I feel like I'm most of the way there, but like n not only, and this is going back to something I said earlier, but like, not only would it, would it still be helpful to see the film a second time, but I like, I want to see the second time for like, for the spectacle of it. Like I want to see it again because it's that kind of movie, um, which is, I mean, for me, I think that's really awesome. But it's one of the things that I love about Christopher Nolan movies. I mean, obviously, the social commentary is not the same, but um, like I want to see the movie again because of the spectacle, but also to feel like I'm gaining a deeper understanding of the film. Yeah, and I mean, it all comes together, I think, in a really satisfying way with the way that, um, you know, yeah, they're uh, basically able to defeat the alien, right? Um, the idea a, a, that... A plus, by the way. Uh, unbelievable kill on the alien. Yeah. The idea that the kid sheriff, right, the take the token symbol, right, uh, this character that was played by uh, Stephen Yun's character, you know, is ingested by the the alien and explodes because it cannot digest the size of it or yeah. whatever. Um, and <laughs> yeah, I think it's a giant inflatable. It's a giant inflatable. Yeah. There's hopefulness in that idea that we can, you know burst that bubble so to speak um sure. by handing over the means of production uh allowing you know black artists minority artists to create their art and we get to see like the you know art that they can create like the image of that um emerald takes using the wishing well camera is you know kind of a stunning image there of the the alien and the balloon um you know, it's the shot, and right? then and then and then again, yeah, perfectly crystallizing it. OJ appears out of the smoke in like the tr the classic shot of the oh Western God, hero yeah. on the horse. Um, you know, it, it's yeah. it's just great. It it all it's just a chef's kiss, honestly. The way it all comes together. That part, you know, we talked about Tarantino reminded me a little bit of like Django Unchained and them riding away from Candyland at the very end. Um, yeah, but yeah, just that image of him on the the horse there, I feel like is. A statement in and of itself yeah i mean you're talking about sort of the almost the the cinematic element of the film right like not only is it leaning into sort of genre tropes but it's it's doing it in a really visually arresting way sometimes in a cliche way but sometimes in like a genuinely oh this is like beautiful filmmaking i mean the camera work from hoyt von hoytema in this thing is pretty wild i think like some of the some of the the uh, tracking shots they do some of the camera work they do that's it is a tracking shot, but like specifically at night when he's trying to track the UFO in the sky. I mean, that is so like that the is 360 so good. shots that they're doing while he's yes. in like the oh my god, yeah, it's yeah, so yeah. good. Yeah. Um, and again, like I, I'm not gonna sit here and say whether Mike Jalakis was capable of doing something like that, but like I mean, Hoy Van Hoytman has been doing that with Christopher Nolan. Um, you know, don't, since Interstellar. Don't you hate on now. Mike Jalakis now? I'm not. I'm I'm actively not hating <laughs> on Mike Jalakis. I'm making I know, it very clear. Um, but I'm saying like, if, if you're going to make a movie like that requires that kind of camera work, like you're not going to have messed up 
by contracting out, you know, Hoyt Von Hoyt, I'm going to come in and, and do those types of shots. Cause you know, he's really, I mean, ever since, um, you know, ever since he started working with Christopher Nolan on all of his movies, because someone else decided to want to go direct a movie for some reason. Um, <laughs> no reason to even bring it up. I'm sorry. I did, um, that he, you know, he's, he sort of mastered that craft and, um, it's exciting to, to see him branch out and work with other filmmakers, um, doing that too. Which I know he has been doing too. I mean, he did Ad Astro with James Gray, I think. So it's not like he's only working with, with Nolan. The only other thing, Scott, I mean, you sort of, you, you sort of talked about it there, but the climax of the movie, uh, you talked about the ending, how it works. Like, obviously we're talking full spoilers here. One of the fascinating, and I think, I, I don't really have much to say about it, but I just want to note it because I think it's, a, it was a very interesting develop in the film is that like the UFO is like not a UFO. Um, mm -hmm. In the end, like the UFO is the alien itself, which I just thought that was like a really nice, um, you know, soft plot twist of the film. Like there's not some, like, you know, you, you were referencing, the, you know, the first scene where Kaluuya, you know, says, no, you know, not gonna, not gonna mess with that. Um, you know, that scene is heavily implying like aliens, you know, dropping out of the spaceship and, you know, are in his, his sort of horse barn. Um, but the fact that later on in the, in the film, that sort of soft twists into the fact that no it's just this this spaceship is the alien i thought that was really nice you know personal flair sure. that um that peel puts on the genre i don't know if you thought I don't, again i don't have too much more to add than that but i thought that was a really good twist no i agree i thought it was well done scott i think i mean well look we could sit here and talk about this film i think honestly for a while longer um, yeah. i have so many good things to say about it but why don't we put a pin in it there if you were to state your favorite scene or moment from nope what would you say I do want to mention going back again to the CGI thing. I was I was mentioning earlier whether whether sure, there was yeah. anything to like the film versus digital. Another thing which I think is like tangentially related is that there's a whole thing about how the Haywoods worked on the Scorpion King, and Scott, I don't know. I I, did, I couldn't figure out what that was about. That was so so. Funny. The Scorpion King is notorious for having like some of the worst CGI that like there's ever been in in uh, movies. Right. Like that's kind of one of the things it's known for. Um, and so I, I just wondered if there was anything there. And um, the fact that the TMZ guy or whoever is like on the motorcycle yeah. there, basically kind of says in a mocking uh, way to Kaluuya, like, "Hey, Scorpion King," like calling him Scorpion King. I mean, I know he's wearing the shirt. Well, he's wearing so the hoodie. Yeah, he's yeah, wearing the yeah. hoodie. Yeah. Um, but still, uh, anyway, I don't know if there's anything there as far as my favorite scene or moment goes. Um, yeah, that's tough. Uh, cause we've just talked, we've talked about a lot of the great, um, moments. I think, I mean, I think the whole, when we peel back and, and see the actual, Ooh. um, what peel. Oh, peel back yeah. uh, and see the actual Gordy's home thing play out. Um, yeah, it's a really like because the rest of the movie is so like you know it, inter entertaining and fun and you know like enjoyable on a conventional level. It only has it, like light horror elements throughout. The, like honestly, it's just not very much yeah. a horror movie. But then this this uh you know the Gordy's home thing in the middle of the movie is pretty chilling, disturbing. Like, yeah. yeah, um, and all the way up to like the final, you know, shot uh of, yeah. of Gordy getting shot. Um, mm -hmm. is you know as again the moment that he and and gord and uh ricky try to like actually have a moment of connection the two others yeah. here right bang oh yeah the off-screen people arrived to, yeah 
quote unquote can't, say the can't let that happen. Um, yeah. So I thought that was really well done. It shows, you know, again, shows he's still got his harder chops, even though he doesn't flex them a ton here. Yeah, for me, it's it's it's, it's going to be, I think, one of those moments where the cinematography really shines. I've already talked about some of the tracking shots, which I think are, and, and by the way, some of the tracking shots in the last act of this movie when they're chasing, like riding on horses and chasing stuff. I mean, those shots are are awesome. Don't get me wrong. But the one that I, the one that's sticking with me a little bit is actually earlier on in the movie, sort of, I guess, towards the end of the second act of the film. It also happens to contain one of the times where, and actually my preferred time, um, when Kaluuya, you know, does say, nope, nope. It, it's when he's driving back with the horse after he's managed to rescue. Um, is it Lucky? Is that the one that he managed uh-huh, to rescue? Yeah. I can't remember. Yeah, Lucky from from the carnival. And he sees that, like, the, the UFO, the alien, is above the house. And he, like, knows he shouldn't look at it. Like, that's how he's going to get away from it. And he's like, starts to lean out the window and look up. And he's like, nope, nope. Yeah. <laughs> Um, which was, that was, uh, that was a good one, but the, the shot, the, the actual shot that I want to focus on here is like the shot of the human remains of everyone from the carnival raining down oh, gosh, onto yeah. the house. Shining incredible style. Shot. Incredible yeah. shot. Yeah, absolutely. Shining style shot. Like amazing, amazing shot. Um, yeah, this, this film rocks. Absolutely. This film absolutely rocks. Um, really hard to pick a favorite scene because there's so much good stuff in this film. Scott, what are you going to give? Nope. Out of 10. It's a 9.3. It's excellent. And I mean, you know, for as as mediocre, again, as I feel like a lot of summer movies have been, with between this and Top Gun Maverick, we've gotten like two of the best blockbusters. We've eaten. Yeah. Quite a while. So uh, shout out to Jordan Peele. I think, again, I think it's his best film. I really do. Uh, 9.3. Yeah, I think I think the longer I sit with this movie, the more I lean towards. I, I don't. I don't even know if I'm super interested in saying whether it's his best film. It's definitely the film I have enjoyed the most. Um, I think no question about yeah. that. You know, whether it's best film, you know, ask me in a few months from now after I sit with this longer after I see it again, whether I think it's his best. But yeah, I think Scott, we're we're on the same page here almost. Um, I was going to say nine point two, but just for just to be the same, I'm going to say nine point three as well. Uh, this this film's great. A hundred percent would recommend it. You know, I don't think anyone really is out there saying this film isn't good. I mean, there were some critic reviews that weren't positive, I guess. But th- this film is worthwhile. If you if you steered away from from Jordan Peele movies because they're horror films, which I think Get Out and Us are genuine horror movies. Absolutely. Um, especially Us. This, I really think this is not that much of a horror movie. I think that if you like the sound of a sci-fi thriller, um, that involves a little bit of alien and a, and a few horror elements for sure, but more of a thriller. I think that you're going to really enjoy this film. Um, there's a lot to digest. It's not overly scary. Uh, only I only say a couple scenes that are really scary. Um, and there's just a lot to enjoy and appreciate as a, you know, again, almost like a Jaws. Like, I mean, that's, that's the only thing I could really think of a uh, direct comparison. Walking. I mean, this movie is just Jaws. Like it is this unknown uh, creature yeah. I terrorizing. Praise, but it, it probably earns it. That'll do it for our discussion of Nope. Uh, let's take a short break when we come back. Um, Comic-Con happened this weekend, so I guess we have some things to talk about that, as well as uh, non-Comic-Con related news. Uh, Patricia Arquette is going to be directing um, her debut film, which we'll be talking about after the break. We'll be right back. Mm-hmm. 
Welcome back for part two of today's episode of Some Like It, Scott. As mentioned before the break, uh, Patricia Arquette, she's going to be directing a movie. It's called Gonzo Girl. It has its two leads attached to it. Scott, please tell us about this movie. Um, yes. So uh, Gonzo Girl, yeah, as you mentioned, directorial debut from Patricia Arquette. She's also going to star in the movie, but um, not as one cool. of the leading roles, um, I believe, to your point there, Scott. Um, the leading roles, it seems, are going to be played by uh, Willem Dafoe and Camilla Marone. Uh, this is based on a book um, by Cheryl Della Pietra, whoever that is. Um, the brief plot description we have is a struggling young writer takes a job working as an assistant to a novelist with a wild reputation. And I just have to say, novelist with a wild reputation is like the most perfect Willem Dafoe role ever. I mean, he, he basically <laughs> already played that in The Fault in Our Stars. Um, so I just assumed he's going to be leaning in uh, more heavily in this movie, which is fine because he's usually the best part of The Fault in Our Stars. But um, yeah, you know, uh, I'm excited to see Camilla Marone getting a big role of this size as well. Um, you know, Scott, last week I mentioned that I was really excited for this new series, Daisy Jones and the Six, based on that um, book that I read and really liked. She is going to be in that as well. And she actually has probably the third biggest role after Riley Keough and Sam Claflin. So I think she's going to get to really sink her teeth. And it's a really important character that she plays. Uh, so I think she's really going to get to sink her teeth in there. Um, and it seems like, you know, that she's going to be um, uh, a lead as well in this buzzy movie here. You know, Patricia Arquette, definitely enjoy her as an actress um you know her oscar winning role in boyhood um you know she worked with david lynch uh she's in true romance just a lot of you know uh, uh probably a sneakily good filmography if you really go through the whole thing from from front to back um so but this is her first time behind the camera so it'll be interesting to see what she can bring there but i like like the names that she's got attached to like what the movie sounds like from a plot perspective i, I really like what this is shaping up to be so far yeah, Scott, and you were mentioning off air right before we started recording that you were about to watch Severance and Patricia Arquette has a very big role in Severance. Didn't even know that. Oh, yeah. I mean, she and Ben Stiller, um, I mean, they're in, I feel like she's in all of his projects. So she was in Escape at Danamora a few years back. Um, so she, I guess, I don't know if they're creative muses for each other or what, but um, I don't know if Ben Stiller will have a role in her film, although he's not really in front of the camera very much anymore. He's mainly doing yeah. like directing directing work at this point. So um, yeah, you're in for a real treat with Severance, in my opinion. So hopefully you enjoy it. And you enjoy Patricia Arquette, who sort of plays yeah. the, uh, the face of, of the of the villains, if that's the right word in the TV show. Um, it's more complex than that, but you know, she's definitely not on the don't not not one of the good guys um, in the show. But anyway, yeah, exciting movie. I, I'm not as um, <laughs> invested maybe is the right word in Patricia Arquette or I mean I don't know who's really that invested in Camilla Maroney besides Leonardo DiCaprio. Uh, she hasn't really had the chance to really me. spread. Again, she okay, starred yes, in and one, you. Of, one of one of my favorite yes, underappreciated yes, yes. movies, that being uh never going back. So I will always appreciate her for that. Yes, I should have stood down on that one um yeah i know that 100 percent. but look I, i'm intrigued i'm intrigued by the film i mean willem dafoe is all you have to say to get me interested um he's a real treat and yeah like you said when i was reading sort of the description of the role i was like yeah this is like 
this role, this surely this role was written for Willem Dafoe. <laughs> I think that that's uh, it's exactly who you'd have in mind here when you're writing the character like that. But yeah, it's got that's that is Gonzo Girl. You know, it's probably you know, 2023, 2024 release date. Uh, speaking of other 2023 and 2024 release dates, we got a lot of them um, at Comic Con this weekend. What a segue I just managed to get us through there. Um, you know, there's not very much news, frankly. Um, from the DC area of things, they basically showed up, announced nothing, and only talked about Black Adam and the second Shazam movie, Fury of the Gods, which, wow, I don't know what you're saving your, your powder for. I mean, I know you probably don't want to talk about The Flash um, and Aquaman 2. I, I understand that you don't want to talk about those movies <laughs> for obvious reasons, but... Uh, no, I was um, expecting a ton of Flash content this weekend. Yeah. Yeah, Ezra Miller is going to show up on stage themselves, um, really go off. Maybe, maybe, they'll, maybe they'll have a few uh, children or other families with them on stage as well, to um, to add to the proceedings. Oof. But no, DC didn't didn't seem to have very much to show. But Marvel, um, on the other hand, did. They, you know, so I don't know what I was expecting from them this weekend. It probably wasn't them showing us the entirety of the Phase Five slate. Which is actually what they did. And phase six. They, well, they didn't show all of Phase Six. They did announce oh, some projects all, yeah. for Phase Six. I mean, they announced Fantastic Four, which I think is supposed to be the first, the first title in Phase Phase Six, and then they announced, I believe, the last two titles in Phase Six, which mm. are two the next two Avengers movies. It seems like the next yeah. two, uh, Avengers: Age of Kang, or something like that. Yeah. Um, and then Avengers: Majors is playing Kang. Secret War. Yeah. Yep. 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 And then Avengers: Secret War. Which is sort of the, I don't know, like it's hard to even say. I don't want to get too much into like things, Scott, that you just frankly your eyes will glaze over and you'll fall asleep by the time I finish talking about them in terms of like plot direction. But it's really, Scott, I'm going to sit now before I even get into talking about the project. It's like really crazy to me that it, it feels like the next important thing, and I'm sorry about this, the next important like meta thing in the MCU isn't happening in, until those two Avengers movies. Like Kang is like the big bad right now. And he's not even the ultimate big bad probably, but he's like the big bad right now. And like Secret War is going to probably introduce like the real big bad, like right, like Galactus or something like that. Again, sorry, I've even already spent too long. Scott's eyes are already glazing over. But it's just like, before we actually talk about what, what like the slate that's coming up, like why are we waiting until 2025 to get to that? Like, it's, you already have, well, like, an overarching plot problem, and you're trying to wait until yeah. 2025. Like, I know I know, Kang is going to be in Ant-Man. I know he's going to be in that movie, which is coming out next year. But, like, why are we waiting that long? There's so many movies and so many TV shows, Scott. Why are we waiting that long? Just uh, as a logistical question, because uh, this is probably something that I – you know, if, if if it was out there, I didn't know because I don't care personally, honestly. But sure, um, Kevin Feige came out and said, "Oh, Phase Four is over now." I thought well, that Black it's, Panther... it's over with Black Panther. Black Panther's okay, last okay. movie in Phase Four. Well, I guess I misunderstood yeah. that then because I was like, I thought Black Panther: Wakanda Forever was supposed to be the last. You know, one. it is. Like, yeah. did, they, did he really just come out and be like, "Nope, we're done"? Um, no, okay. Black Panther is supposed to be the last movie in Phase Four. But yeah, I'm gonna I go ahead and say it, Scott. Like, it's gonna take an absolute hail mary of a, which Black Panther is capable of, I think. But it's gonna take an absolutely hail, absolute hail mary to like truly salvage 
phase four being anything respectable in terms of like which, a, for like which an overall Ryan perspective. is capable of, we should say. He, yeah. Yes, that's probably a better way to put it. Yes, Ryan Coogler is capable of salvaging. Uh, and he is directing that somehow, some way they convinced him to come back for another Black Panther movie. But um, yeah, I mean, that, so that is the end of phase four. That's coming out. There is, uh, I believe there is, there are still some TV properties still to come. Maybe just She-Hulk. I believe She-Hulk, which is a, I think it's like a nine or 10 episode comedy that's coming out. It's also, it's going to have, Scott, pay attention. It's going to have Mark Ruffalo um, appearing um, in the show alongside I mean, Tatiana Maslany so, yeah. as She-Hulk. Yeah, 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 exactly. Um, and a whole host of other people, apparently. I don't know how big they're going to feature um, in the cast, but quite a few other people. Um, but the, the, yeah, so between She-Hulk and then followed up by by Black Panther Wakanda Forever is going to be the end of Phase 4. Phase 5, there weren't like an overly generous number of details talked about in this, but Ant-Man and the Wasp will start Phase 5 um, February of next year. TV shows why Secret Invasion, which, which was one I believe that was talked about several years ago, the last time Marvel had a Comic-Con appearance. Uh, then James Gunn's delayed Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 3, uh, which is going to be wrestling with Chris Pratt and you know Star-Lord at all, dealing with um, the loss of Gamora or trying to find Gamora after the events of Endgame. And also Will Poulter um, as Adam Warlock, who is sort of sent after the Guardians, after they sort of um, pissed off Elizabeth Debicki's um, I forget the name of the species that that she is in volume two, but pissing them off, sending Adam Warlock after them. Loki season two will be coming back. Echo, which is a spinoff of Hawkeye, will be a TV show. The Marvels movie, which is Captain Marvel and Miss Marvel, I presume, in a movie together, um, is coming out. Blade, finally. So we got confirmation. Scott, this is one of the things I think that you were excited about um, actually getting confirmed and announced that, that Mahershala Ali blade movie will be coming out in 2023 um you know still more spinoffs Ironheart, which is a spinoff of black panther is a tv show agatha coven of chaos is obviously a spinoff of wandavision um daredevil is getting an 18 episode show i mean i guess that they're i don't know why what? 18 episodes uh, daredevil born again um, we're going back, back to the golden era of tv baby I know, but like not even the the Netflix shows weren't even that. Like they were like ten or twelve episode seasons. Yeah, like, we have. There hasn't been like a, a scripted show. I mean, I guess maybe not some on of like CBS crime dramas or something probably are. But other than well, that, all like, are, yeah, all those shows are. CW too. Those shows are are, mm-hmm. are long seasons. But anything not on broadcast, yeah, I mean, that's nuts. Um, Captain America. So Sam Sam Wilson's Captain America. So. Um, Gosh, Anthony Mackie's Captain America is going to get a movie instead of a TV show. And then there's some Suicide Squad-like um, show or movie called Thunderbolts, which is going to also be a part of Phase 5. That's the full slate for Phase 5. The We mentioned the two Avengers movies that's going to be in Phase 6. The other one, which is probably the big deal, is the reconfirmation of Fantastic Four. That movie, which was being directed by John Watts. Is, I can't remember if it's still being directed by John Watts or not. Or if he left. I think he left, didn't he? Didn't he leave the yes. project? The yeah. Fantastic Four, yeah, he's not doing it anymore. Yeah, do they announce who's? They're probably going to announce who's directing, who's casting it, like at yeah, D twenty three. Don't believe that they announced a replacement. Yeah, yeah. 
Yeah, so a lot of announcements, very few details. I think that was like the sort of main takeaway I had after I was catching up on the announcements. I'd expect a lot more deeper dives on key projects that are closer, maybe something even like Fantastic Four um, at D23, because they still have a whole other press conference, huge press conference they're going to be doing in like a month, two months um, at D23. So there's a lot more, I think, still to come. I'm sure everyone's turned off their phones at this point. Um, pressed pause, press skip to the next podcast. But Scott, any any high level thoughts? I mean, we sort of sort of ranted at the beginning. They're talking about it. Feels like that we're just we're treading water. We're treading water hard here. Like it was one thing earlier on, Scott. In the and this is the thing I keep coming back to. It was one thing earlier on in the MCU when it took years to get to like the big sort of team up film, like the original Avengers movie, took years to get to. Um, obviously, but they only put out one or two movies a year back then. There's like four or five things coming out, and that's just the movies. Like, there's four movies a year plus TV shows coming out, and it's still taking us years to get to sort of the next big thing. I just think it's it's treading water too hard. I appreciate that it's exploring new directions, exploring new characters, but it doesn't really seem to be doing that in a manner in which drives me to care. And I think that's ultimately the problem, right? Like. I said this after our review of Thor, Love and Thunder. I just, I'm losing my ability to care about like the next thing, I think, because the quality hasn't been high enough because the plot, the overarching plot of the, of this like, you know, mega budget TV show in movie form isn't being pushed forward. And I know that you, if you don't feel the exact same, um, you feel similarly. I mean, yes, you're just like probably less interested overall, but it seems like you're also getting less and less engaged with the franchises. Yeah. I mean, I could just remember just a couple of years ago and I was really like following the hall H stuff closely. Um, sure. In terms of three years Marvel ago, was the about. last time they had it, you know, they had the blade announcement. Right. Yeah. Before. This was still, this was right after Endgame. So, yeah, I, uh, I, I don't know. I mean, I just don't know where they're even going. Um, I, I frankly, I frankly don't care. Again, I've said this recently when we talked about Marvel movies, I just kind of want at this point, the whole overarching narrative thing for me ran its course with Endgame. Like, I think they did an awesome job with it. Now I just, if we're going to keep making these movies, I just want to see some good movies. I don't really care so much about all the other stuff. Uh, and I feel yeah, like so that, we haven't gotten very many of those in phase four. Yeah. So that, that's actually sort of the question I wanted to ask you just as we wrap things up here is like, what would it take? I mean, forget announcements. I know announcements are not going to be what gets you back into to the MCU, but like, what is it going to take to get you back invested at a level like, you know, around say Infinity War that you were in, in the MCU? Um, I, I don't know if they can, Scott. This is the thing. I don't know yeah. if they can because I, yeah. like I have said before, like I just said in our Thor episode, I don't feel that whatever they are building towards, I don't see how it can be as satisfying as, um, mm -hmm. Uh, as Endgame was like, yeah. I just, so it's just I about making think, good, putting together a string and, of good and, movies. Yeah, and I, another thing is like I think again one of the main reasons Endgame works so well is because you have that central figure of yeah. Robert Downey Jr. as Iron Man, like you know who was there from the beginning, was your way into the MCU and everything was the really just the the heartbeat yeah. of that whole saga. And you Chris Evans have is Captain America. Yeah, sure. I'm not as huge of a fan of, of that, but but yeah, I guess so. Um, but you don't have that 
yet in phase four. I mean, I know it's early, but like if they want to let it rest on Thor or Hulk or somebody who's been there before, like it just it doesn't have the same. It's not going to be Hulk. Well, That's yeah, true. but I'm just trying. I'm just yeah. thinking of you know characters who have been there a long time. Um, well, I'm saying like at this point, it's like, I mean, it feels like it's it, it's so complicated. Like I think they probably would like it to be Spider Man. Like they probably would like it to be Tom Holland. But like I just don't think that I think it's just too complicated with Marvel, or sorry, with Sony, to to piece that apart. I mean, it could be Star Lord, but I just think that that's not going to happen. I think I don't know. I could be wrong. I just don't think they're gonna they're gonna choose him. And yeah, that leaves like, is it gonna be Doctor Strange? Like I don't know. Like I like Benedict Cumberbatch. Like, am I gonna get emotionally invested in Doctor Strange like I was with Iron Man? I don't. I don't think so. Just as a character, I don't think that's gonna happen. Maybe it will. I don't know. Yeah, no, I, abs- absolutely not. I, I like, even though Multiverse of Madness was my favorite one of the movies from Phase Four, it wasn't really that much because of the character. It was because of Sam Raimi. So, I mean, the thing that the thing that sucks is that I do think, I mean, it sucks on many levels. I don't mean to say this is the only reason that it sucks, but like with Chadwick Boseman dying, like that, like T'Challa could have, I think, yeah. could have been that character for them. I think he really could have been. Yeah, maybe. Um. And I don't, I don't think, I mean, obviously it won't be now. They, he is in canon. They are, they are, I don't know if they're retiring the character, but T'Challa will have, like when, when Black Panther Wakanda Forever comes out, T'Challa will be dead in the film, in the film. Based is my, is my understanding. Um, they're obviously, they're not recasting. They may go a different direction with the Black Panther character, but it's not going to be T'Challa. Um, which is a bummer because, I mean, he, obviously he was one of the leftover people after, in-game, who I think a lot of people, like, you really could rally behind around, like, a, a, a central, you know, pillar um, of the MCU if you wanted to lean on him for that. But it just, like, the Guardians don't really seem to work for me, I think, in, in that context. Um, I don't think Thor is going to be that. I just don't think that character, what, they, what they've sort of molded that character into is not something, it's not, it doesn't feel serious to me. Um, and Doctor Strange, maybe? And I think Spider-Man's too complicated. And I don't, honestly, I'm not even sure where that, where that leaves them post No Way Home with Spider-Man anyway. So, I'm not sure. Yeah, uh, I'm, I'm, yeah, I just felt so much ambivalence when I was scrolling through Twitter. Again, right right now... The Is it going to be looking, Captain Marvel? <laughs> gosh, I hope not. The quote-unquote things I'm looking forward to, like blade you mentioned just because i think there's room to do something creative there again like it like they yeah. did with multiverse of madness i love the casting of Marshall ali also as blade right fantastic on. four i don't know that i think it's going to be a good movie i just am interested to see who they cast who they cast um and then beyond that you know i'm interested to you before i mean no, no x-men movie announcements i mean they're probably coming in phase yeah. six you'd assume but the fact that there's no X-Men announcements at after on top of all these things. It's pretty telling that you're not going to be getting those until 2025, probably. Like, that's, that's tough, I think. Yeah. Beyond that, I mentioned to you that I like seeing Catherine Newton confirmed as Cassie Lang. Sure. Um, so, yeah. you know, the small silver linings, I guess, is what I'm really latching on to yeah. here. But. Otherwise, it's just a whole lot of content and not a lot of caring from my end. Yeah, I mean, you're noted as being completely out on the TV shows, um, which I, I get. I totally get that. Like, I'm feeling pretty similarly at this point. You were sort of from the start 
um, but I'm getting there. And, you know, after there have been exceptions, but it just feels like even with the with a quote unquote hits, like even the movies just seem to be dragging on and dragging on and dragging on. Uh, I need a spark, Scott. I need a spark. Yeah, I don't know. I need Watch an arc reactor. Documentary, The Sparks Brothers. You can get two of them. No, no sorry. I'll watch great. Annette instead. It's a great documentary. Okay, oh, I no have no doubt. <laughs> I have no doubt that it's a good documentary. I have full faith. It's just, I don't know. I'm just not interested. Anyway, Scott, that yeah, should it's be not it. your thing. Yeah. Yeah. For episode of 198 of something like it's got any uh, other parting thoughts to leave us with today. Are you excited for black Adam? God, no. Um, but you know, Shazam what's the next too? movie you're excited about? What's the next movie you're excited about coming up? Superhero movie or just general movie? General movie. Bodies, bodies, bodies. Uh, All I, right. I think episode two hundred one. I'm hearing, I'm hearing good things from the people who have seen it. I'm seeing, I'm seeing who, good things. Who I'm not hearing inside nobody, men and women. Yeah, as well. Like, all right, uh, man, right on. You got some sources. I'm seeing go. good. I'm seeing good things. There's a new Charlie XCX song in it. Like, it seems like it's going to be my jam. Where can people find you on social media? Uh, I am at Scarby Dent. And I'm at Shelton2013 on Twitter, Letterboxd, Serialized. <laughs> Don't forget to also check out our podcast Patreon at www.patreon.com slash mediaplugpods. If you can support us over there, we'd appreciate it. But if not, that's okay. You can still find us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever else you listen to your podcast, where we'd love it if you rated, reviewed, subscribed, shared, all that jazz, so that we can continue to reach a broader audience. And we really appreciate all of you for taking time to listen to us chat about Nope. We'll be back next week with a review of BJ Novak's mystery comedy film, Vengeance. We hope you'll join us for that. But until then, for Scott Harvey, I'm Scott Shelton. We'll see you next time.